tonight, um, I'm going to tell two stories and explain why I'm wearing the suit uh, for this whole Advent season. But before we dive in, let me pray one more time. Lord, we have forgetful hearts. It's easy for us to become distracted and, and, and forget the whole reason that we have this festival, this feast of Christmas. Help us, O oh God, to celebrate your incarnation tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so, again, I'm going to tell you two stories. The first story is, by, is about a gentleman named Nicholas. Yes, that guy, Saint Nicholas, uh, except it has nothing to do with elves and reindeer. Um, in 325 AD, the Emperor Constantine called for a church council at his villa in a, a town known as Nicaea. He called for this council because Christianity had finally, after 300 years of persecution, started to become socially acceptable. And he wanted to know what these Christians truly taught, because Constantine himself had actually had a really uh, dramatic conversion, where the Lord appeared to him in a dream and uh, said, march under this banner, and it was the cross. And so he had all of his banners changed to the key row, the cross, and he, uh, he, he won the whole Roman Empire. And he, uh, he, he, he knew that Christians were around. He knew what the key row was. He knew what the cross was. But he didn't know what Jesus was about. And so he wanted to know what Jesus was about. And so he called this council of all the bishops. He invited every bishop in the Roman Empire because he had just reunited the whole of the Roman Empire. And... Um, Remember that they had been going through 300 years of persecution, Christians. So most of the bishops at the time thought this was actually another trap. And so they, they, they didn't go. And in fact, the younger bishops were, were told not to go. And this gentleman, uh, who we now call St. Nicholas, but at the time his name was just Nicholas, he was a bishop uh, in, in a sea, sea town of Mira in Asia Minor. It was a very poor town. Uh, he had become a bishop because after his conversion, he had started realizing that Jesus calls us to take care of the poor. And there was a plague going through Mira at the time, and he was an aristocrat. He had a lot of money. And uh, he would walk through the town and hear children coughing. And essentially, if they started coughing, they were going to die. Because there was no money for medical aid in the town. And if a child got sick, you isolate them to a section of the house, and you just let them perish. And that pulled on Nicholas's heart, again, when he was a young Christian. And so he began to put money together in coins. And when he heard children coughing as he was on his night walks, he would place a bag of money in their window. And, uh, and that's where we get the idea of giving presents, actually, from St. Nicholas, uh, at, least, at least during that time, or when it comes to Christmas and St. Nicholas giving uh, giving gifts, Santa Claus. Anyway, he'd gotten a name for himself, but now he was an old man, and he had been a bishop for a long time. And he decided to attend this council uh, because he had found out that another bishop from the, from the city of Alexandria was going to be there, and this other bishop's name was Arius. 
and Arius uh, had flipped to the wrong side of a debate. In Alexandria, there were two debates happening. One, either, either Jesus was fully man, but he had obtained godhood, a little bit of divineness. So he's like 99% man and 1% God, and it's through the 1% God that he does stuff. And Arius flipped to the other side, and he said, no, Jesus is 99%. He didn't say this literally, but he said Jesus is 99% divine and 1% human. He's not very human. He was ultra-human. And he got famous because of a, a single statement that he started making. It was a poetic statement. He started to say that uh, um, Jesus' humanity is but a drop of honey in an ocean of his divinity. So this had begun sweeping through Alexandria, and Nicholas hated this because Jesus was both man and God at the same time, fully both. And he knew this. So he decided against the judgment of all the other bishops in his area to be the one that went and represented Mira. So he was a brave soul. Um, and I mean, fortunately, Constantine called this church council for good reasons, not for bad. And when the council began, Arius began addressing the emperor. Now, you wouldn't think that's a bad thing, you know, you just address. But the law at the time was that if, if somebody was addressing the emperor, you cannot interrupt them. It's a punishment worthy of death. And Arius kept talking and talking and talking and called for a recess to eat and called for a recess to rest and continued talking after that. And legend has it that he went on for three days like this. We don't know if that's actually true, if it was three days or three hours or somewhere in between. But what we know is that it lasted so long that Nicholas had had enough and wanted this heresy to be stopped. And so he stood up. Oh, but by the way, the only way to end uh, somebody from speaking to the emperor was if they sat down. If they sat down, then they were, they were done. So Nicholas, now Saint Nicholas as we call him now, but Nicholas the bishop stands up, walks over to Arius, and punches him in the face and makes him sit down, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so so he, Nicholas was so offended that Jesus was much more divine than human. He knew this was heresy. He knew this was destructive. He knew this was bad. He knew that this action that he made was going to get him killed, and yet it was worth it because Jesus was being defamed by Arius' words. Now, the response of the Roman guard at the time was correct. They efficiently captured him and threw him in a prison cell. And uh, legend, if you, if you believe the legend, is that he had a, 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 um, a, a gospel, potentially gospel of Matthew or Luke, and it got confiscated from him. And then Mary and Jesus came to him in the prison cell and gave him a new version. And, uh, but I, I think that's all fake. I, I, I think that's presupposition. What we know for sure, based on historical record, is that, is that Nicholas got thrown in the jail cell and then he got brought up sometime later because Constantine ruled that he must have blinked because he didn't see Nicholas strike Arius. And he didn't, he, he didn't see the interruption occur. So Nicholas was exonerated. 
He didn't have to die, but he was willing to because Jesus is worthy of being understood rightly. As the council continued, they wrote what is now known as the Nicene Creed. It's actually what we consider one of the three ecumenical creeds that all Christians agree with. It's the Apostles' Creed, which was not written by the Apostles, but it's a representation of the Apostles' doctrine. The, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and the Chalcedonian Creed. Those three things every legitimate Christian should uh, believe. And in this Nicene Creed is written... that Jesus is the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being from the Father. Through him all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He became incarnate, from the Virgin Mary, and was made man. Now, why do I tell that story? Well, I tell it for two reasons. One, I think it's funny. <laughs> I think it's, there's a meme out there that's a picture of St. Nicholas, and it says, I came, I came to give presents to kids and punch heretics in the face, and I'm all out of presents. So I, I, I love that one. I think that's funny uh, that the man we now call Santa Claus that we say jumps down people's chimney and uh, in the creepiest fashion and gives children's gifts, which we tell kids to not accept gifts from other people unless they come down your chimney, I guess. But, uh, but, but this guy we call Santa Claus was so vehement and zealous about his belief in Christ, not elves, not reindeer, not sleighs, that he punched a heretic in the face in order to get him to stop speaking lies. And number two, because both now and in 325 AD, the mystery surrounding Jesus' incarnation, his, his birth, God being made man, is so crucial to Christianity that it was so ardently defended in the way that it was. And today we should care about it just as much as Nicholas. But when we think about the incarnation of, of Jesus Christ, we, ask, we, we start to begin asking ourselves questions, very deep questions nonetheless. How did God become man? Our imaginations start working overtime. We begin contemplating things too great for our minds to grasp, things impossibly wonderful, yet here God has done it. He took what was impossible, God becoming man, and did it anyway. So Jesus became man. But how much man did Jesus become? What's the makeup of that? What's the percent that he's God? What's the percent that he's man? Is he 50-50? Is he 95-5? Is he 99.9 is he he and 0.01? Almost did my math wrong. Fortunately, you would have corrected me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but but how much is he? How much is he which? And how do we how do we accurately display that? I mean, it's it, it, it's it, if somebody were to ask us, okay, Jesus became man. He became man. He took on manhood, right? So Jesus was divine. And he took on manhood. How is it that the Almighty, the Omnipotent One, can be swaddled, need to be swaddled, and need to have his diapers changed? How can the God who's everywhere be confined to this little infant body? 
We've tried to theorize and theologize these questions for centuries, but the reality is that they are too great for us to comprehend. So we, 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 we should be amazed at these facts and learn, learn the, the, the way that church history has learned to say it, that he's fully God and fully man. We should be amazed at it. Now, many of you here tonight have asked me repeatedly, so what's with the suit? My favorite one was week two after I said it, but somebody, somebody uh, walked up to me and said, so is somebody getting married today or did somebody die? And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and I was like, oh, neither. I'm glad somebody asked me. <laughs> but many of you tonight have been asking why I'm wearing the suit. You've been curious the whole month, the whole Advent season. Yes, you do. Uh, and, but as I've reiterated time and time again, I hate suits. They are so uncomfortable to me. Like, this is tailor-made. We went to Men's Warehouse. Ooh, yeah, fancy. And I got this tailor-made. So it's wool, it's breathable, it's comfortable, but I got to tuck in my shirt. And that pulls down on my shoulders. And my sho I, get, I get horrendous neck aches. And then the collar going around, I kind of twitch constantly. So if I'm sitting there, you see me all the time, it's because my neck is like stiffening. I can feel the muscles just constantly tightening in my neck. I hate it, hate wearing a suit. It's uncomfortable, I despise it. When Jesus came, he did not feel like I feel in this suit. That's why I'm wearing the suit. It's an illustration of what Jesus becoming man was not like. To quote a friend of mine, Jesus, when he came to earth, when he was incarnated, did not come as God in a meat suit. Have you ever, have you ever watched Men in Black? Good old movie now. It was new when I was a kid. But there's the scene where an alien jumps inside the cyborg body and he drives it kind of like a machine, right? Is that what it's like? Did Jesus come as like a little teeny alien inside a cyborg, cyborg man body? No. No, Jesus was fully comfortable in his own skin. He was fully man, fully God. And somehow those two contradicting things were not contradictory to him. That's the beauty of Jesus' incarnation is that there is no contradiction. None. It's something we would think is contradictory. If we suddenly inherited deific powers, right? You've seen Bruce Almighty, I'm sure. It doesn't end well. It doesn't end well for anybody because we're selfish. But Jesus was not selfish. Jesus came mysteriously, uh, setting aside his divine rights. As we say, he... he, he it's the kenosis of Christ, as Paul says in Philippians. He set aside his divine rights as the son of God, being fully human, fully divine, instead of being divine and wearing humanity like I am this suit. Jesus did not come as God in a meat suit. He came as man. He was made man. So let's conclude then with our second story, which is actually from the Gospel of Luke. It's the coming of Jesus. It's the events of Jesus' birth, his incarnation. It's, it's the story of his humble beginnings. Nothing like we would expect the king of all, of all the universe to come as. 
So if you want to, open up in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 21. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, dark outside like it is tonight. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was, an, uh, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away, uh, from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over into Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened that the Lord has made known to us. And, and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And while they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God, for they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. The name Jesus, by the way, means Yahweh saves, the Lord saves. The Hebrew way of pronouncing it is Yeshua, Joshua. There were a lot of Joshua's. There were a lot of Jesus's in Jesus's time. It was like walking around and finding Brandon's. It was like walking around and finding Joe. But there's only one Jesus we care about. Jesus Christ the Lord has come. He was born. The shepherds saw it. Listen, if, there was, if, if you think about the story of Jesus's birth, everything is wrong. He's, he's the king of all creation, and yet he's born in a stable and, or, or somewhere and laid in a manger, a feeding trough. He's not born in a palace. He's born around stinky donkeys. Donkeys don't smell good. They, they just don't. And that's where Jesus, our Savior, was born. He, he grew in stature and in wisdom, just like you and I did. And yet somehow he retained his full divinity. We're 2,000 years away from that point where Jesus came, where he lived a perfect, sinless life, which you and I know nothing about. 
He grew, in, again, in stature and favor with his neighbors. He died a cruel and unjust death, but through that death, he secured a propitiatory, a satisfying with God. He secured a propitiatory sacrifice for unjust sinners like me, like you, justifying the ungodly, bringing us into a pure fellowship with his father and himself, something we simply don't deserve. We will never deserve. This gospel truth is what we celebrate in Christmas. The cross would not have been possible without the incarnation. And the incarnation means infinitely more than that. But at the very least, we remember the gospel. We remember the core truth that our God became fully man without sacrificing a shred of his divinity. St. Nicholas punched a guy in the face for denying that truth. So don't let these days go by as if you deny them also. He has come, saints. Rejoice. Rejoice when you go home. Rejoice when you open presents tomorrow. Rejoice when you're drinking wassail outside. Rejoice because Jesus has come. We have one more song to sing. Rachel's not going to stand up here and sing it. But you are more than welcome to stand. Uh, but let's close in prayer. Lord, so often in this world, my heart feels bland. It feels muted to you, to the things of you. And I need to be reminded of the wonder of these things, and I'm sure I'm not alone in this room to that fact. So God, please, please bring amazing wonder at your incarnation to us. Help us to worship you as you deserve, but enjoy it at the same time. Not just as an act of duty, but as an act of delight. May we celebrate you this Christmas day. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus being fully man means that he understands your frailties. He understands your struggles. He has compassion on you. He knows that you need to be reminded, just like I do, that this season is about him. So return to a heart of worship of him. Go in peace, saints.